0: all higher on the day with the cattle's under some pressure we'll talk markets and get some perspective on stories spanning the globe and i'll toss out a quick update on fertilizers and fuels live from the southern outpost via farm journal broadcast this is agritalk this afternoon we'll talk with jim emter from van on and company and right after the news, Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures, I'm a handsome newsman, Davis Michelson, behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk, filling in for the sojourning Chip Flory on his way back from Nashville, Tennessee. At uh, he, I'm sure he's brimming with things to talk about from the Top Producer Summit, which was held earlier this week down there in Nashville. Uh, we had him live with a host of guests, a cast of tens down there uh it was outstanding coverage it sounds like it was a terrific event um i'm here just today tomorrow morning he'll be back for the free-for-all business is huge in the morning uh this afternoon though i'm really excited to talk to jim empter uh from van on and company Uh, my only trepidation here is that we're not going to get to it all you know i want to cover each topic and let it let it sort of come to us you know i want the information i want jim's take jim's perspective he's got a great perspective um on some super important issues that could be market movers moving through the early part of 23 and into the uh later parts of the year and i want to be able to get them all in and i want to be able to get them all covered thoroughly i don't know if we can if if that venn diagram sort of matches up and if so where but we're going to give her a shot jim Emter. Will be with us, and of course Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures for some perspective. Um, yeah, heck of a day in the markets. Corn higher, beans higher, um, both meal and oil in the soybean complex higher on the day. Meal had a heck of a day. Um, if we look over to the energies, we got crude oil up a dollar five at, at eighty-one twenty. You know what's interesting is the the March uh, WTI crude oil is at 8120 you you look all the way out to the July 23 WTI contract and guess what it's only 8 cents higher it's an 8 cent spread from March to July 8128 in the July 8120 in the March seems like that might be telling us something looking over to the wheat's double digit higher in the uh uh hard red and soft red markets the winter wheats and then you've got your spring wheat up almost the dime kind of had a rush toward the end of uh of the day today to uh, to close out on a high note you might say um jim emter van on and company is my guest oliver slope coming up let's get to the news wheat futures higher for the third consecutive session as traders grapple with global supplies u.s hard red winter wheat country will warm up over the next few days though bitter cold will be back late this weekend And especially early next week, though World Weather Inc. believes snow will remain on the ground in areas that will be vulnerable to the coldest temperatures. USDA reported net wheat sales of 500,400 metric tons in the weekend of Jan 19 for 22-23. That was up 6% from the previous week and 84% above the previous four-week average. March HRW wheat futures 21 and one half cents higher on the day, 864 and three quarters. March soft red wheat gained 11 and one quarter cents to 752 and a half. And here's March spring wheat closing at 918. That's up eight and one half cents on the day. Corn futures were solidly higher amid spillover gains from the wheat and soy complex along with that strengthened crude oil. USDA reported net corn sales of 910,400 metric tons in the weekend of January 19. That was a 20% drop from the previous week, but a 46% increase from the four-week average. USDA's attache in Beijing reports China is likely to buy a, quote, substantial amount of Brazilian corn in uh, the coming year. March corn fell below the 10 and 100 day moving averages at 677 and 674 and a half respectively before rebounding for a, uh, a dandy close. March corn futures seven and three quarter cents higher, 682 and a half. May corn gained six and three quarter cents to 680. July corn futures closed at 668. That's a four and three quarter cents. After falling to the lowest level since January 10 yesterday, a round of short covering supported soybeans in today's trade. Brazilian weather is expected to remain dry, biased in the south over the next several days, while rain frequency and intensity ramps up once again in center-west and center-south areas, this according to World Weather Inc. USDA reported net sales of soybeans of 1.146 million metric tons for the weekend of Jan 19. That's an increase of 16% over the previous week. USDA also reported a daily export sale of 106,000 metric tons for delivery to China during the 22 23 marketing year. March beans 21 cents higher, 15, 23 and a half. May beans added 18 and one quarter cents to 15.14 and three quarter. July soybeans closed at 15.04 and one half to six. Uh, closed at 15.04 and one half. That's up 16 and one quarter cents. March cotton was 84 points higher at 87.50. Livestock's quickly here. USDA's cold storage data was a weight on cattle futures today, showing a rise in frozen stocks supporting demand concerns. Packers remain steadfast in their efforts to buy cattle at cheaper prices. Feedlots don't want to move cattle at lower prices. February fats 87 and one half cents lower, 156.72 and a half. April fats down a buck two and a half, 160.52 and March feeders 90 cents lower, 182.85. Lean hogs edged lower early in the session. USDA reported weekly pork export sales 44,700 metric tons, that spurred some buying enthusiasm. Feb hogs 22 and 5 cents higher, 770.2.5 and And April up a buck 67 and one half to close at 87 bucks on the snout. From Blue Line Futures, Oliver Slope. Good afternoon, Oliver. How are we doing today? Outstanding, sir. Uh, heck of a move in the Hogs. It looked like they were down and out this morning. And then here we go for a positive close. Yeah, you know,
1: it's been a while since we could say that Hogs had a good day. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's a long time, but good to see. Uh, we we're consolidating pretty well between 84 and 86, which are the same kind of consolidatory lows that we saw back at the end of September, beginning of October. So nice to see today's price action. think a further relief rally is probably warranted and we can make a pushback towards 90 bucks. I think that's going to be kind of the inflection point for the market. Are we able to get out above there or not to be determined? I think we might struggle there for the time being, but I do think that we can see some follow-through momentum here in the very near term, and at least go back and test that level and see what the market wants to do from there.
0: Lots working in favor of the corn market today. Does it feel like maybe the air gets a little thin around 680?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just knocking on the door. I think it was the December 30th highs and the January 19th. 684 685 we get out above there there's really not a whole lot of technical resistance until you get back to those fall highs which are just a hair above seven bucks which is psychologically significant alongside uh, technically significant so yeah we're we're knocking on the door, but I I'm kind of tempering the expectations because the last couple of times we've been up here, we have fizzled out and failed. So I'm uh, I'm I've, I've got my pom poms out, but I'm not sold on it yet.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's an image I didn't need, Oliver Slope. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your time, Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures. Have a great day, buddy. Take care. All right, your pal Davis Michaelson. We are underway here with AgriTalk. Jim Emter from the Van On and Company will be my guest right after these words um i think i don't know i might be suffering from news fatigue i'm gonna ask jim if we still need to be talking about the russia ukraine escalation i mean they're sending tanks i don't know maybe that'll break my fatigue we'll find out on agritalk
2: from powering irrigation engines to warming buildings propane has always been a part of american farm life now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time
0: You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at eight five five four talk ag This will drive Chip crazy. That's 855-482-5524. 855-482-5524 is the telephone number. Our digits, you might say, as they say. Jim Van Empter, Van Onen Company, is my guest today. Jim, good afternoon. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for having us, Davis. We're looking forward to it. You bet. Okay. Um, I don't know how much we need to talk about this, um, and and maybe part of the story here is news fatigue. Russia-Ukraine thing has been going on for almost a year now. Um, the market, at some points, has been extremely responsive to the situation. Um, it, it does feel like a significant escalation if Germany and the U.S. are going to send tanks over there to Ukraine. What's your take?
4: I I think it does. I think you see some price premium work in. There's uh, obviously words being cast back and forth, obviously escalation and missile strikes. But again, this comes back to really what do corn and wheat need out of this? How much does Russia move? There's a lot of moving parts that ultimately we look at, and we've got to disseminate. Hey, how much of this is a Russia-Ukraine? How much of this is the Bulls trying to get a GoFundMe site going for Chip Flory to be out of the office more if this is what it takes? So, you know, we're trying to set the dynamics and understand what we've got here. But I do think this is an escalation. I think we've sucked out a lot of price premium. But if there's anything we've realized over the last year that I feel like these stories get escalated for a day or two if this is truly what is driving the bull enthusiasm today and then we watch that ratchet back down so I think a high attentive point into these price areas that we're into for both corn and soybeans and again we've got to see how this unfolds but this is let's not forget this is going to take some time to get the amount of takes that Germany and the U.S. is intending to get over there so this is a flash in the pan and then how long does it take before we realize anything new and i think that's what you're alluding to davis unfortunately this is probably going to drag on but you know for a one day flash in the pan it's got people's attention
0: sure sure well and you know speaking kind of thinking along the lines of the long game here you know there was a lot of chatter that ukraine's grain production might be completely shut down in 22 and it wasn't it wasn't you know, up to its full potential, um, but but a lot better than what some had feared. I think that there might be risk that we see uh, an in- increasing declines, decreasing uh, inclines. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, 23 no, no. could 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 really uh, could really be a stinger for that Ukrainian crop. Yeah. And a lot of that
4: depends on the Black Sea agreements and enforcement. So obviously an immediate escalation of anything here, we've got to be attentive to, but we can't get lulled to sleep on it. But to the same point, you know, let's not forget coming into the invasion last year. Um, Ukraine had a record crop that year prior. So again, you can't just look at the year prior numbers when you're going through uh, the Wazdy report. You got to go back and look at a few years and notice. Okay, Ukraine's you know production overall was down 70 percent or 30 percent. We still produce 70 percent and we're able to get it through the pipeline. The biggest undertone is Russia has a lot of wheat and they're sitting on that pile. So that's as big a component is do other nations, if food prices start getting higher and Davis, as this market begins to to rally if it puts some things together with some issues as we get into the growing season, do people come to Russia then and say food's more important in this process? That's going to be the million dollar question because there is a large bank of wheat in Russia right now. So we'll see how good these alliances are for the West and see just where this escalation goes.
0: Well, and if it gets super creepy, I mean, we're, we're at a point now where I'm hearing from the fertilizer side, ah, prices are coming down. Availability is not a problem. You know, they've got too much potash in Saskatchewan. They're leaving mines idled and such. How much of a concern is there that an escalation could lead to a decline in global fertilizer stocks, fertilizer coming out of Russia?
4: I think that's the reality. That, that that concern's been there. It's just been weighted down just because of I think a lot what you said. This is just kind of drug on. You know, we're lacking new developments. And while we sit here from the outside and say we're lacking new developments, Ukraine feels the pain of this war every single day. So you know, it's easy to sit from a distance and watch that. But again, I think it does bring dynamics. And let's not forget one of the biggest input costs, it's still at fuel markets. So if you're looking at crude oil, you know, you alluded to the flat market that we've got in there, you yeah. look at heating oil, you look at the gases and the pump, and I think it was AAA coming out today and say, expect April prices to be back near $4 for unleaded gas. You know, we're not away from one of the major delivery components that affects that cost. So great to see these fertilizer and inputs coming down. But we've got to be attentive to one of the underlying driver for a lot of these products. And that's that oil price
0: almost feels like a guy might be wise to lock in a little bit of diesel and maybe a little bit of fertilizer. I don't know. I,
4: I, I, to me, I think it's a great approach, especially with the deferred prices that we've got in the market. If we get some sustained rallies back into that low $6 level for new crop corn, if we can get back towards that $14 area in beans, we could get higher down the road, no question. But again, to lock the lower prices on those inputs, you're seeing natural gas, take a nosedive here. As you see these inputs come down to provide the opportunity to secure them and then step in and run some corresponding marketing. Because once you get those break-even analysis numbers nailed down, I think you can make some good business decisions in a year that's going to be extremely volatile. Davis,
2: mm,
0: well said. Well said. Um, one of one of the eye popping expenses as farmers are looking to secure operating loans, of course, interest rates this year. It's been a big story for I don't know since Moses was in sneakers. <laughs> it seems like this one just goes on and on too. We got an FOMC meeting next week. Uh, the Fed expected. Our, I, th- I think the general opinion is a is a twenty five basis point rate hike what's uh what are your thoughts
4: Quarter half. I mean, I think you've got the stock market that is hoping and praying for a quarter. I think you've got the Fed statements that lean towards a half and we'll find the middle ground if there is any. But, you know, again, we can see those immediate reactions once we get one or the other. But the whole point is even if they're continuing to raise rates, uh, you're looking at a structure where that's going to be a continuation, not just for one more month in 2023. I think they're going to work towards that higher five, low 6% area. And that ultimately will bring uh, greater interest to some of these carry costs within the grain, uh, within the structure of the stock market and its stability with the debt ceiling and everything else that's going on there. It seems like it's just one piece of the puzzle after another that kind of comes in. And we're going to know how to put that puzzle together as we work ahead. But for right now, we got a lot of pieces sitting there and we've got to see that come together. So I think a I would lean more towards the Fed has been very aggressive. They haven't slowed yet until they do. I want to lean towards being defensive on a half. If we get a quarter, great. Maybe they're seeing something in inflation numbers, but when you've still got oil prices where they are, a lot of talk about rent prices around the nation, your food mm-hmm. prices are still relatively high. We need to be very careful as a market when you watch these corn rallies, bean rallies, crude oil rallies, heating oil, because, again, all these inputs affect that Fed decision. So the higher we get may be more detrimental to us down the road, Davis. Mm. And I think we got to watch yeah.
0: that. Yeah, indeed. Um, we reported this morning, and I don't know if I, I guess I, I'm not much of an economist. I have a hard time getting my head around some of this stuff. And I, I don't know if, you're, if you would have any insight on this, but there's a story out that there's less cash in circulation at this point. Uh, And James Bullard, I believe, uh, St. Louis Fed president, I'm off the top of my head here, I'm trying to remember, but he feels like this is a good sign for inflation for us here.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole fear is that we set into hyperinflation, and, you know, that money flow is going to be a key picture. I can't speak in great volume within that area. But what I can tell you is the cash seems to be flowing back up the ladder, back up Mm. the chain, uh, mm-hmm. So again, if you think about all the stimulus checks and whatnot, it's often referred to. Imagine you know you're coming in here. You've got a lot of users getting 2,500 to three grand in their all of a sudden checking accounts. They go spend it on a new snowmobile. Again, that works up the chain to the CEO and management and ownership of a snowmobile company, and then that money's put back into a stock market or investment alternative. Well, that cash has run out at this point. So I think a lot of what I would define as more of the loose cash, you're starting to see credit card debt creep up. And again, mm. that that ultimately is a big concern. I ultimately think that's a detriment to inflation as we work ahead because people will be more stringent and tight with their spending if those dollars are not there. But I think you can look at that on a domestic front, but again, the world picture is a whole different story. And so again, a lot of these products are traded in U.S. dollars, whether it be Brazilian beans sold in U.S. dollars brought back to their currency, whether it's the uh, petrol dollar, as we refer to it, you kind of come back and look at you know some of the 1940 agreements based mm-hmm. off Saudi Arabia and the U.S. and you come and look at that foundation and say, okay, that was gold-backed dollars in 1970. They basically uh, got rid of the gold backing of the U.S. dollar and Now, for the first time in a long time, you've got Saudi Arabia stepping in here and saying, hey, we're not saying we're going to do it, but we may consider taking alternative currencies. And now all of a sudden, it's like people are looking around and saying, you start allowing other opportunities uh, other than U.S. dollars for a lot of these exchanges. It creates a real another piece of the puzzle, Davis, if we talk about that, Mm -hmm. to lay out a foundation and say, hey, that's just another pillar of these economic woes that we got to be attentive to.
0: So, Indeed. Um, just just a few seconds left here I guess a lot of people panicking oh the the US dollar no longer the world fiat currency or you know a lot of talk like that the the united States is going to collapse in on itself well the British pound used to be the thing and England is still around they're fine
4: That's, yeah a lot of this will get hyped up beyond expectation we just got to look to the little things of what it might create for inflationary measures because a lower even if the US dollar goes from 102 down to let's say 88. That all of a sudden brings up the potential for greater demand for U.S. products because everybody's got a little more change in their pocket versus the U.S. Uh, dollar yeah. all of a sudden,
0: so. Yeah, I like that a lot, Jim Emter. Great perspective there, Van On and company. Jim, when we come back, I'm gonna rewind us to November 22nd, 2022, when you were talking about protecting profit in hogs. Let's talk hogs when we come back with Jim Emter.
3: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest,
0: Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. USDA's attache in Beijing reports feed mills have resumed mixing more corn in feed rations. At the same time, Brazilian corn is now available and priced competitively. The head of the Ukraine Grain Association said Ukraine's production of corn and wheat are on course for a second annual decline as farmers reduce plantings. The U.S. ambassador to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Ag in Rome has said a spike in food prices will continue this year. China owned a slightly less than 1% of foreign held U.S. agricultural land at the end of 2021, while Canadian investors held the largest share at 31%. That's according to USDA data. And fertilizer producer Mosaic does not currently see the right market conditions to restart its idled Canadian potash mine. News of note is taken from the pages of Pro Farmer. Get more at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, Agritalk is live every weekday. In fact, Agritalk is live right now. Unless you're listening later, of course. Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone in Chip's stead. Chip will return tomorrow for a free-for-all We'll have Sean Haney, the Alberta breeze returns. We'll also have Tyson Redpath and I'll pipe into, you know, here and there, here and there. Uh, Jim Emter is my guest this afternoon. Before we get back to the conversation, uh, here's how the markets performed today. March HRW wheat futures 21 and one half cents higher, 864 and three quarters. March soft red wheat gained 11 and one quarter cents to 752 and one half. March corn futures seven and three quarter cents higher, 682 and a half. July corn futures closed at 668 up four and three quarter cents. March beans were 21 cents higher today, 1523 and one half. July beans closed at 1504 and one half, 1614. uh jeez, I did it again. 16 and one quarter cents higher. I wrote it backwards is what I did. March cotton 84 points higher, 8750. Livestock's February cattle 87 and one half cents lower, 156.72 and a half. March feeder futures 90 cents lower, 182.85. And February lean hogs 22 and one half cents higher, at 77.02 and a half. And Jim Emter, let let's bring him in, Joe. April hogs up a buck 67 and a half to close at 87 dollars even. Whew, 87 for hogs right now. Now back in November, um you were talking about profit protection in hogs earlier today you were mentioning these sort of flash in the pan items and does it feel like maybe it's time to take advantage of some of the strength in hogs is this going to get away from us again well yeah no i as
4: i see it uh, let's look back to kind of november there and you know we had we had negative divergence, what that means in just a quick nutshell is our RSI was starting to slip versus higher futures price. And that's just one of seven technical indicators we watch to aid us in trying to gauge these markets. Because at the end of the day, markets are never wrong, opinions often are. And I think we've got to come back and check those opinions at the door, look at the charts, and, and just be ready to respond to price action. So as I see this market kind of come to fruition, um, you know, we saw an opportunity to protect profitability. We looked at break evens, and we get that negative divergence. One of seven things we look for. Market breaks down, actually comes back towards the end of November, early December, and then we get the capitulation multiple times from that point forward. The biggest thing is that rally was so big in October that again, you kind of see this market get up there, create this opportunity, never, never went over 70 RSI, so it gave us a great sell signal. I'm actually going to talk a little bit opposite now, Davis, when you look to the foundation, we are two standard deviation away from linear regression. We've got technical formation here on reversal characteristics. You look at all these long tails that we've got down here. And more importantly, we've got a development on positive divergence. What that means is the RSI is starting to get higher out of this rally along Mm -hmm. with the higher futures tone. So I actually think this is a setup where we can see recovery. I thought the uh, analyst uh, uh, estimates earlier to get up to the 90 and then that's where we're going to find those layers of resistance was very accurate. And we've Mm -hmm. got a VPOC at $93. So 90 and 93 are the two retracement counts I would look for for opportunities back in this market again, but it's not going to be the easiest of rides with cash price. Is dragging behind, and also with the influx of production we've got in China right now.
0: Yeah, so we're, go- we're gonna we're
4: going to let it run a little bit. In other words, I, I I would try to see that 90 or 93 counts. That's where I would try to look for this opportunity once again down the road.
0: Yeah, um, l- let me let me just go back to my notes again here on something else that that you said when we were uh, sort of going back and forth on what we wanted to talk about today. Uh, back in November, you you referenced weak need bulls. And bears. Um, The January 12 reports really didn't didn't do much to uh, remedy that condition, did they? No, (laughs) not at all. I mean, you know, again,
4: it's just it's so amazing right now. You know, the expectations are big. We know the risks are big with high prices. But when you come away from that report, doesn't matter whether you're a bowler or a bear, you had something to chew on. And you know, anytime you get that environment, that's when we kind of set up in these choppy markets. So what we like to look at is you hear people talk about pivot points or posture levels or key areas. We are literally trading in March corn at a pivot area. Now, all but this is a first price count, but this is where the market now has the largest volume of trade in corn. What we mean above that is if we posture above it, yes, you've got those layers above, but it's more friendly as you get away from that pivot. As you get below that pivot, a big warning flare, and that's really around this 675 to 685 area. So the market's doing a job, but we've just got to realize where we're at off that foundation. If you look to the bean market, same thing. We just came off two days ago, the pivot, that pivot is 1484. So again, what we're seeing is those weak need Uh, bears kind of get out, we get a boost in the market, then we get to levels that the farmer wants to sell and he can put an end to this market right now. Then we break down, we get to that support level, and then the weak need bulls get out and and, and add to that escalation. But then again, the users say, hey, that's a value-added area. This is just a market. When you look to the stocks number that USDA gave us, they came in here and said, our stocks are 837 million bushels less than they were one year ago. And let's not forget last year, we went to $8 and 20 some cent corn uh, for a high. We're 127 tighter in stocks and soybeans and 110 million bushels tighter in wheat. So across all sectors, our stocks are tighter than one year ago. Obviously that uh, Russia Ukraine escalation last year caught everybody. You know, where, holy cow, how big could this get? And the market wakes up in a major way. So that was a catalyst, but also the demand sectors are what the bear is leaning on. He's Mm -hmm. looking in here at exports and saying, Hey, if I look at corn right now, we're running nearly 15% behind our average export pace. And that is even with USDA cutting 150 million bushel out of export demand. So that's why us as analysts, we come in here and we look at price counts of saying, okay, 685, that's a big area, 716, Mm -hmm. maybe 703 to 716 is that next big area. And we're seeing layers of overhead that the farmer is going to want that magical $7 cash price. So that's why the limitations and optimisms exist around that corn market.
0: Well, and if, if we look at bull markets that, that are sputtering, natty gas, coffee, lumber, uh, and you've got, oh, I mean, oats knows, right? Does oats know or have we uh, diverged from the oats knows paradigm? <laughs>
4: Are we going to come back to that? Uh, the bear gets Thanksgiving, bull gets Christmas, Davis. I've got they, that in my might, notes too. It's in here. <laughs> we, we might need Chip to come in and regulate us here if we go back on the old wise tales. But uh, no, in all seriousness, oats know where corn goes. Um, do, do they? I I think there's circumstance, but here's what's important about this, Davis. These, these other markets that we're alluding to, whether it be canola, whether it be lumber, whether it be uh, that oats market, um, what is significant about what is occurring here is they can go back to prices they started from here. And I think that's the biggest thing that corn and soybean and wheat producers need to understand because I feel like there's a lot of producers asleep at the wheel right now. And what I mean by that is if you look historically at 920 spring wheat, if you look historically at 680, 82 corn, if you look historically at this $15, fifteen fifteen type price in beans, these are excellent prices. But if we come in here and heaven forbid, we get big acres, good production, and a reduction in demand due to the economic circumstances, that could be the triple whammy that results in an oats type sell-off, a canola type sell-off, a lumber type sell-off, a coffee type sell-off. And let's be real about this. Our world inventories are semi-significant. If you look at a US domestic carryout level and you go look at a world carryout level, there's a stark difference, but what's important about the world carryout, why they're much more inflated in numbers, is China is, according to the estimates, holding a lot of that crop. Nearly 70% of the corn crop of the world carryout is made up of China holding, and somewhere between, I think it's 55 and 62% of the world's wheat crop is held in China. So those world wheat numbers are a little bit deceiving because China does not export a whole lot of corn or wheat. And so when you bring that perspective back, we just got to realize the tightness, but do not ignore the risk when you're locking in these inputs Mm -hmm. and you've got these opportune prices. And that's all we're trying to say is, hey, if you want to see some real markets that have either been impacted by big supply, which oats have to a degree, canola, um, the lumber would be a demand slowdown, the coffee would be a big production out of Brazil. If you want to see these circumstances where the supply demand numbers win out, Here's the markets to go look at as a reminder of what can happen. Mm. So you don't have to relive that 2013 market or the end of 2008 market where you've got high inputs, all of a sudden you're selling low prices at harvest and missing the opportunity. This is not a forecast that we're going lower. It's a risk everybody needs to acknowledge in their marketing plan.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's good. Um, We're going to run out of time if we're not careful here, but we got to talk about February. It's a huge month, obviously. Imagine we hit that golden seven and we're... (laughs) in in February and we averaged something around there plus so we've got the the February insurance price we've also got the uh USDA ag outlook form coming up later on in February talk about this month uh this coming month and uh, what it might mean for us
4: Well, I just think it's an important sector because you know you're going to have a big Brazilian crop coming at you to begin with. The Argentina crop is a little bit suspect, but when you look at crop insurance prices, the highest price we've ever had is 601 back in 2011 that I can go back and find based off that foundation. So let's realize that 590 December 23 corn, that's what we're going to kind of start with next week, or maybe we'll get a little higher. But this is probably, you know, if this is our start price, it's probably the second highest start price we've had, and then we're going to average that price through February. For soybeans, the highest price that we had uh, really kind of comes back to last year's base price of fourteen thirty-three. So if you look at that and you say, okay, we were there not too long ago at fourteen twenty-five, but we're thirteen fifty-two, I look at this structure and think new crop beans have a little work to do, Davis. So we'll see if that bean market can get in here, we hit that 1.2 standard deviation away from linear regression, I'm starting to see some positive divergence. So you've actually got old crop beans at the upper end of the scale from a technical perspective, and new crop Nov 23 at the lower perspective, something's got to give here. So we're going to watch those levels very closely. And then as we're coming together with these, let's not forget that really our first best guess at acreage numbers is going to come out February 23rd and 24th with that USD Outlook Forum. Now, this is not an official report, but yep. this is basically all the big gurus giving their best guesses on production, demand, and acreage numbers for next year, along with complete s and So strap in, February yeah. is going to get wild.
0: Indeed. Jim Emter from Van On and Company, bro, great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Let me know how
4: that GoFundMe works out for Chip, all right? right, Will do. There will be signs.
0: There will be signs. <laughs> Shim Efter from Van On and Company. I'll have some fertilizer and fuels right after this.
3: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use.
2: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. When
0: news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Well, tomorrow with Chip Flory. Today it's a Lorna Doon kind of day. A pecan sandy. An oatmeal cookie show. No chips. See what I did there? Your pal, Davis Michelson, just finished a fantastic conversation with Jim Emter from Van uh, Van On On & Company. You can uh, get more from Jim at uh, vanonco.com. That's V-A-N-A-H-N-C-O, vanonco.com. Jim Emter, uh, terrific conversation. We appreciate him taking the time. Uh, I want to talk some fertilizer and some fuels here. First, this I didn't get to in the news this morning, and and as an Iowa boy, um, I I just want to send out a little shout-out here. The World Food Prize Foundation announced this week that former U.S. ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, will join the organization as its president. Branstad was Iowa's longest-serving governor and holds the record, I didn't know this, holds the record as the longest-serving governor in the history of the United States. Congratulations, Terry Branstad, newly appointed president of the World Food Prize Foundation. And with that, uh, let me pull up my spreadsheet here because we've we've talked about fertilizers, and in fact, uh, Jim and I talked about it earlier in the show. Um, a little lower this week. In fact, our nutrient composite index, which um, it's kind of it's it's a little bit complicated, to, so I won't get into how that sausage is made. Um, but it just sort of figures in everything Um anhydrous. 32 and 28 percent urea dap map and uh, potash gentle potash uh, and sort of turns it all into one number uh as of usda's previous report uh that's january 10 we were at 1204 12 um, the most recent report came out two days ago on the 24th from usda the average um, price of Iowa and Illinois adds up to a nutrient composite index of 1192.18. That's a decline of 11.94 points. So headed in the right direction on fertilizers overall. Now let's dig in a little bit and see where that decline came from. Iowa USDA puts Iowa NH3 at 1248.33, Illinois at 1301.11 for an average of those two states at 127472 that's down $3.61 per short ton on the week and that decline is pretty typical of what we see across the rest of the fertilizer space uh, Iowa DAP at 98563 Illinois DAP at 82250 um some of those Iowa locations I think aren't reporting updated prices and so we're we've kind of been stuck with the same price there it could be a situation where they don't quite know what to do with it price-wise yet, and so they're uh, they're just keeping it unchanged. Um, the average on the week, as of two days ago, according to USDA, is down four dollars fifty-eight cents, at an Iowa-Illinois average of nine hundred four point seven per short ton. Uh, Iowa map at nine twenty seventy-one. Illinois map at 8.70 per short ton for an average of 8.9536. That's down $4.40 per short ton. Vitamin K potash. Ooh, yes, and I've got something on this. Uh, Iowa, the most recent reporting period, 7.5167. Illinois at 6.9667. A bit of a disparity there, about a $50 spread between those two states on potash. I would look for the Iowa price to come down to try and catch up with that Illinois price. All told, it's an average of 7.2417 dollars for your potash. That's down $27.48 per short ton. And I mentioned it at the bottom of the hour in our uh, Pro Farmer headlines. I'm just gonna read this down for you. Fertilizer producer Mosaic does not currently see the right market conditions to restart its idled Canadian potash mine with high inventories in the US and Brazil and cold weather slowing trains from Canada. This, according to Chief Executive Jacques O'Rourke, Mosaic curtailed potash production in December at its Collinsay, Saskatchewan mine, say, easy for me to say, Saskatchewan mine, but said it expected to restart production in early 2023. That would be now. Uh, O'Rourke told Reuters, quote, it's just a matter of s- starting to see the inventories coming down. The last thing we want to do, is started up, run it for a month and a half, and have to shut it back down again. Uh, he declined to be more specific on timing for restarting the mine, and that makes sense. Um, you know, these guys are running a business too. Um, but the result is a twenty-seven dollar forty-eight decline in the per-ton price in the Iowa-Illinois average. Now at seven twenty-four seventeen, look for that average to sneak down. Below the seven hundred dollar mark, as far as how low she goes, it it depends on how high those inventories that he was referring to in the U.S. and in Brazil uh, actually are, and how much weight they can put on the market. Uh, U.A. in twenty eight percent, five ninety eight fifty in Iowa, six o five seventeen in Illinois, uh, for an average of six o one eighty four, down four dollars sixty six cents over the report period. You weigh in 32%, 624.75 in Iowa, uh, unreported in Illinois. And this one has been one of those that hasn't moved much as well, uh, unchanged on the week. Here we go. Urea saw some decent declines here. 804 in Iowa, 686.67 on Urea per, sh- per short ton price in Illinois. That averages to 745.34, down $11.66. Now, Ruby Red, this is interesting here. Uh, diesel price 362 in Iowa, 403 in Illinois. This is your per gallon price for an average of 382 and one half. That's up 16 cents uh, just this week alone. A bright spot, of course. LP unchanged at 193, and that's been unchanged since. Let me scroll up a little bit here. I'm um, I'm going back. Here we go. Clear through till. Uh... Well, the end of November we were at 196 and now here we are at 193 ever since unchanged there. And that's an Iowa price. Illinois didn't post an LP price. So once again, our nutrient composite index fell 11.94 points to 1192.18. So confirmed softness in fertilizers, but let's not get complacent on these. If you haven't done anything, might not be a bad idea to lock in something, uh, especially on your diesel side. EIA reports stocks well below the five year average. We were getting close and then no we fell off again. Chip will be back tomorrow. We got Tyson Redpath, Sean Haney, and myself. Uh chance of Flores tomorrow, one hundred percent. Your pal Davis Michelson. Thanks for tuning into Agri Talk.